Let me apologize for being a dork. Uh, all right. Sometimes when I'm saying things, I don't. Uh, anyway, hey, uh, I, I need to tell you, I'm going to start off by telling you three quick stories, but I want you to know, um, while these stories are reflective of some real people, I've tried to t- change a few details just so that nobody can pick up who they are or what they, what, um, who I'm talking about. If that, is that okay with everybody? Just say yes, can't. See, that makes me feel so much better. Uh, so she, she, uh, she lost her husband about a year ago, and um, she is swimming at this point with what to do. She, she, does, she, like, she, she has run through all the little bit of insurance money that they had for life insurance, and she is now working two jobs. She is trying to be there for her two teenage sons, but as much as she tries and as hard as she tries, she cannot be there all the time. There are games that go by without her presence. There are conferences that she has to miss, and she is dying on the inside, trying to make it all work. And she sits here week after week, listening to sermons, trying to be a part. She is dying, trying to make everything work. He, um, he lost his job. He lost his job because there were cuts in demand because of the, the lack of supplies in the supply chain and all of that has trickled down to him and his boss called him in and said, hey, we're, we're not going to need your services right now. We no longer need them. And he had to go home and face his wife and face his children and instead of being compassionate, they turned on him. He and his wife already weren't doing real good and so they have struggled and they've been fighting and to be honest with you, the uh, last several months he's been sleeping on the couch every night not knowing what to do, thinking, dreading the day that his wife comes and serves him divorce papers. His kids want nothing to do with him. Because for years, he forsook them for his job. And now that his job is gone, he's trying to be engaged with them. He's trying to be involved with them. And they feel like he's just a big old hypocrite. They want nothing to do with him. And every night, he goes to bed with a bottle of bourbon in his hand. And feeling like he doesn't know where to even start. They, uh, this family... This other family has experienced the most loss that I could even think of. They've, they lost a child. They lost, they lost their mother to COVID. They, they recently have just faced a, a tragedy of grand sorts where family was on vacation. Their, her, their brother and sister-in-law was on vacation. They were in a wreck. The, the sister-in-law has passed away, the brother-in-law is in a coma, and several of the children, they're not sure how they're going to do. And you look at it, and you just think constantly, is there, like, how can life be this cruel? How can anybody, how can anybody bear, let alone the loss of a child, the loss of a parent in the same year, and now the loss of other family members and potentially an entire family wiped out? How do you bear that level of loss? What do you say? What do you even say? I mean, that's the question, right? What do you say to these people? What do you say to the widow who has lost her husband and she's trying to raise two boys? She's doing everything she can. You you know, I I told this to the first service. Every time I see some uh, older woman who's like above the age of 18 working at the drive-thru at McDonald's, I think that woman is here because she has to. She's trying to provide for somebody else, right? 
She is giving everything she can. I, I pray for those ladies when I'm through. I try to be as kind as I can because I know she doesn't want to be there. She's having to be there. It's her last chance. This is all she can do is to work that job. This woman, what do you say to a widow who's in that place? What do you say to that friend of yours, that buddy, that husband, who's sleeping on the couch every single night? What do you say to the family who has seemingly lost everything? Here's what, this is this morning saying, it's that one of those bad things, I think, in my estimation, that good Christians tend to say or believe. Now, I want to be clear with you. I am not saying that the people who say this are bad. What I'm saying is it is a saying that we pass on from one person to the other, and it is real pithy, and it sounds good, and it fits on a bumper sticker, and so we keep saying it, we keep saying it, and what I'm saying is this statement has something in it that's a little bit dangerous. Are you ready? This is what most people will say in this moment, one of the things people will say. You ready? They'll say, it's going to be okay. Why? Because God will never give you more than you can handle. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, that's right. <laughs> You guys are so good to me. Uh, it's going to be okay, widow, because God will never give you more than you can handle. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay, husband. God will never give you more than you can handle. It's going to be okay, family. God will never give you more than you can handle. Can I tell you a little problem with this statement? We're going we're gonna to dig into the problem of it in a little bit, but can I tell you one of the biggest problems that we have with this? is that the Bible doesn't say God will never give you more than you can handle. Did you know that's not even biblical? Did you know if I, I, I thought about coming in here being like, all right, quick Bible quiz, whoever can find that passage, the quickest wins like a million dollars, right? I like find the passage that says God will give you more than you can handle. The problem is the Bible does not say that. And as much as I know for some of you, this has actually been a statement that has gotten you through some things. I know for some of you, this has been a statement that you've hung on to, and it's been something that for you has kind of been helpful. In a moment, we're going to kind of parse out why it maybe is a problem, but I wanted to just for a moment look at where I think the confusion about this comes from. Are you guys ready for this? So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, uh, go to Bible.com. Uh, that is owned by YouVersion. It's a free app. That it'll prompt you to download an app. It's free. It's fantastic. Um, you, you need to be getting into the Word of God, and that's an easy way to get into it. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, all right? I want to read this. I'm going to parse it out a little bit, kind of explain a few things, and then we're going to keep moving. Okay, here we go. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 13. This is what the Apostle Paul says. So, if you think you are standing firm, be careful. Uh, I, I was talking to Rick before first service, and we were talking. Uh, you guys watched the UK game. I prayed about it, but uh, it's, it was sad, wasn't it? Like, oh my gosh, so sad, right? And uh, I was talking to Rick about it, and one of the things he said was, he said, I think they were, they were, like, they were thinking about the next game, right? That, now, I need you to know, I know zero about sports, so I was just like, uh-huh, Rick, whatever you say, I, I agree with you, whatever, right? Because I know nothing. But I, he's probably right, right? They were thinking about the next game. They weren't thinking about the game they were going to be playing. And so they, I know that you guys could all have a million different ideas about what happened. But there is this place that you can get into with sports and you can get into with life where you're not, you're, you're, you, think, you think you're so invincible. You think you're standing so firm that you think there's nothing can touch you. And Paul is warning you spiritually against this. He says, so if you think you're standing firm, if, 
If you think you're the Christian that has it all together, like, I go, I go to church. <laughs> I, I, I even am in a Bible study. I read the Bible, like, every single... I, I have downloaded the YouVersion app, Kent. I have it on my phone. Like, if you are that level of Christian in your life, Paul is warning you, be careful. Be full of care that you don't fall. He's saying that you you are really almost at your most vulnerable and weakest because you're no longer looking to see if there is a threat on the horizon. You just are out there playing the game and think you've got it all taken care of. And then he says this, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Now what you need to know is up until this point, we're not going to read it, but I'm going to share with you real quick. Paul has been going through the history of Israel. And if you were reading this in, in 1 Corinthians 10, you would be like, why is he doing this? Why is he telling me about all the ways that Israel failed? Well, he's doing it because he wants to get to this point where he can say to you, be careful. If you think you're strong, if you think you got it all together, if you think that you're, you're on top of the world right now, be careful because you might fall. And then he says, there is no temptation. There's no temptation that has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And what he's trying to do is he's pointing back to all of these sinful mistakes that Israel made. And he's saying, you are the same as them. The temptation that you face, the sexual temptation that you face, the, the idolatrous temptation where you will make things bigger, more, more about those things than about God. All of these temptations, they're all the same. They've plagued mankind forever. And you're, you're not above any of that. And then he says this, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Can you see how people have mixed this up, that God, God will never give you more than you can handle? That's not what Paul said, is it? He said God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. And this is, why, this is how we know. This is what the, the way out. It's not about you having the strength in and of yourself to overcome that temptation, that you have it all together. This is what he says. He says, but when you were tempted, when you were in the middle of, oh, man, has anybody ever had an Oreo in this place? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, amen. Can I get a glory hallelujah, right? Yeah, glory. <laughs> Preach. All right. When you're in the middle of that temptation, God, whatever, and that's a super simple one, right? But in the middle of some of those deep, dark temptations, he's saying that God will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. There's this place where you endure through a temptation. It's not easy. I will tell you this, I'm, this my point is not to preach on this passage, but I will say almost always the, the way that God provides out of the temptation is another person, and it comes through confession. You confessing to somebody, I'm really struggling right now. I'm really struggling. I need you to just know. And there's something powerful about that God uses the spirit of another person's spirit to engage with yours, to provide you a way out, right? So uh, that's just a freebie on top of the sermon. But what I want you to see, what I want you to see is what the scripture actually says is not that God won't give you more than you can handle, but that when you are tempted, God is faithful and he will provide a way out. That's what the scripture says. Uh, Paul's point is that God is faithful himself. That God himself is a faithful God and that he is not just gonna call you out and then leave you in this place where you will be tempted and you will be tempted and where you'll have to walk through that alone. That he will give you ways out of that temptation. That is actually a powerful statement about God's faithfulness, not your ability to do things. So here's my, my question though, because you may listen to that and you still may go, but Kent, why, why is it so wrong then 
Why is it so wrong to say God will never give you more than you can handle? Why is that a problem? Right? Because, okay, I can see how people confuse that passage with this statement, but still, are you sure that this statement doesn't have some validity, that there's not something about God would give? So let me, uh, real quickly, give, did anybody grow up watching the movie Jaws? Did you watch? Yeah, some of you, yeah. Uh, if you don't know this movie, uh, run out and rent it on uh, Amazon, all right? It's probably be a buck 99 on there. Um, Jaws, real quick premise, there's all these college students and different people, and there is a giant shark that wants to eat them, right? They're just shark bait for the, and, and so the whole movie, you guys know, right? Donna, 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 and you're like, oh, they're going to die, and the shark, blah, and eats them. So like, my whole childhood was spent being terrified of the ocean. I, I, I never even wanted to go to the ocean. Like, anybody with me? Can I get an amen on that, right? Yeah, all right, so like, I'm terrified. I finally go to the ocean as an adult, and like, I am, the whole time, I'm like watching. Now, and still, like, I've been in the ocean several times, never been attacked by a shark. Anybody? Yeah, all right, so none of you have been attacked by a shark, I assume. Um, So I, like, I start to go, well, it's probably reasonable to think you can get in the ocean, and you're probably not going to get attacked by a shark. But still, to this day, when I get in the water, like, I, uh, I wear glasses, so if I take these puppies off. Like, I can't see anything, right? All I can see is kind of big blur. So I take my glasses off. My kids, I see the blurry children swimming out here. And the, the whole time I'm thinking, man, I, they're shark bait. Like, these kids, they're goners, right? Like, and, but what I do as a dad, I don't know if anybody else does this, is I stand in the water and I, I watch the waves as they start to come up and break. And all I'm looking for is a giant shadowy blur in the water. <laughs> anybody with me? I'm just watching for that great white. To, and, and my kid's like, Dad, did you see me? I'm like, yeah, I saw It's pretty awesome. You guys do that again. Because I'm keeping my eye on the horizon of these waves, right? And I've grown, like, I have never once seen the shadow in the water. Like, I never. It's never hit me. Never ha- had the shark out there. And then I went shark fishing, this last, uh, last time we were at the ocean, I don't remember how, when it was, but we're at Cape Canaveral, and, and we talk, we're like, let's go shark fishing. That'd be fun. I'm like, yeah, time for me to hunt the great white. You know, like, I'm going to go after Jaws myself. And so we, we get all, I buy like a shark fishing shirt, and I'm, I mean, we're duded up for it, and we get on the boat, and uh, I'm thinking like, you're going to go way offshore out in the middle of no, like no land in sight. No. You know where they take us? like 75 yards off the shore near the beach that we've been swimming on the whole time, right? I'm like, what are we doing here? And he's like, we're shark fishing. I'm like, no, sir, there are not sharks right here. I'm telling you, for like an hour, we just straight catch shark after shark. And I'm like, whoa, what? Like, no joke, at one point, we catch this shark that's like this big. I'm holding it, and the, the, we're, it's kind of stormy the day that we're fishing, so the boat's going like this. I'm holding this giant shark. There's like 100 baby sharks out here in the water, and the guy's like, now, Dad, you just hold that. I'm going to teach these kids about some sharks, and I'm like, I'm going to die. Like, I'm, I thought I was going to go over and be shark bait. For the, like, that would be the last my children see of me. Here's what I learned from shark fishing. Like, I had all this fear. And the fear seemed to, for a while, like, be a little bit unreasonable. And then I go shark fishing, and I find out it's not just that there's, like, one shark. There are millions of sharks swimming around your feet constantly when you are in the ocean. They're all over. And the problem is this. It is under the surface. Under the surface is where the danger lies. 
right? Like some of you, this statement of, well, God will never give you more than you can handle has maybe for you even been, like you've been out in the ocean with it and you've never seen the shadow in the water. It's never been a problem for you. But what you don't realize is that underneath the surface, there is more going on in this statement. It is so detrimental to so many people. So let's look at what's beneath the surface of this statement. Beneath the surface, when we say, God will never give you more than you can handle, what we are implying is that God is the one causing the terrible things in people's lives. Can I say that again? When we say that statement, God will never give you more. Who is the one who is the giver? Who, who is it? God. So who is the one giving the widow the terrible thing in her life of her husband passing away and her having to work two jobs and her missing her kids' ball games? Who's the one who gave that to her? God. That's what this statement implies. I know that's not what you meant. I know that's not even what it meant for you. What I'm wanting you to see is that underneath the surface, there are all these sharks, and it is no wonder to me that so many people's children have walked away from God. They hate God. Why? Because for their whole lives, we've said these kinds of things to them that have painted this image of God that he is this big, gargantuan, gremlin in the sky who just chooses good things for some people and bad things for other people. My wife, my wife won't even talk to me. I sleep on the couch every day. I've lost my job. Why? Well, because God wanted to give you something just to prove that you could handle it. (laughs) Isn't that kind of him? You're saying that my child died and my Mom died, and now my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law. God's the one that gave that? Do you see how insidious this is? I know on the surface it sounds really good, but what I'm saying is underneath the implications of it are terrible for people. So if I could, I want to take you, I've tried, really, this has kind of been what we've been talking about week after week, isn't it? Like, We've been taking these statements and showing how they kind of imply this bad picture of God. I want to take you to the person that I think gives us the clearest, best picture of God. Actually, what the scripture says about him is that he is the image of the immortal God. So if you want, what what Paul is saying in that is if you want to know what God looks like, you look at the person of Jesus, right? So if you want the clearest HD 4K, like best image of who God is, you, you don't try to read, it's okay to read through the prophets and hear how they talk about God, but if you want to see the clearest image, the one that defines how to even think about all of these other versions and images of God that you see, you read them all through the lens of Jesus. He is the image of the immortal, everlasting God, and I want you to hear what he says about who God is. So listen to this, he says this, Matthew 7, 9 through 11, which of you... Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will we'll give him a stone? Right? Like, what kind of a jerk dad is that, right? Like, dad, and because this isn't people who, like, if your kids ask you for bread, I get it. Like, your kids, maybe they're a little bit, like, like they're spoiled. They got everything they want. Bread, get your own bread, or you, maybe you're fine. But these are kids who, like, maybe ate one meal a day. It would have been terrible for a dad to have played a practical joke on a starving child who asks him for bread, right? What, which of you, which of you, if, you're, if, you're, 
If your son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, Jesus says, we'll give him a snake. If you then, listen to what Jesus says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus is painting this picture of God as a father. And not, I know, for a lot of you, you either had an absent father or you had a father who was just a miserable person. You're thinking, well, my dad would have given me a stone. <laughs> like, he was a jerk. He was terrible. He, 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 wouldn't, he just would have left. He wouldn't have given me anything. Jesus is painting this picture of a father who's he's like the father that you wish you had, right? Like, you, you grew up having a friend or two that had a really good dad, and you're like, you dreamed and you wished that they were your dad? That's the dad that he's talking about. And he says, he says, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He is saying that the nature of God is to give good gifts to his children. So much so that listen to how Jesus, Jesus is going to take all of that and he's going to apply it into you and I's life. And the practical application that he gives us is this, verse 12. So in everything... In the way that you treat other people, in the way that you treat God's children, he says this, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus' whole application from this idea of how good God is, is that you and I shouldn't treat people malignantly. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be violent with them or angry with them or selfish with them and try to get our own way out of them. What do we do? We treat them like the Father would treat them. So we treat them the way we would want to be treated. We give them our very best. You know, if you were to turn back in your Bible to chapter five of Matthew, you'd see Jesus talking again about the Father, and he says, he says you know, God, he, uh, he causes the sun to rise on the good and the bad. God, he causes the rain to fall. Now, when he talks about rain, for you and I, when it rains, we're like, oh, it's raining, I can't do that, I've got to take an umbrella, it's terrible. These people lived in an agricultural economy like in a desert region. So when it rained, that was a good thing, right? And so he's saying God causes the rain to even fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. He is saying, Jesus, the one who knows who God is, who's the image of the immortal God, he is saying to you, he's good. He is a good God. So maybe you're left with the same question I have. What do I do when I ask for bread and I got a stone, Kent? What do I do? Because haven't you asked for bread? You've asked for something good and you've gotten a stone? If I'm hearing Jesus right, that's not the Father. Why is it that when you get a stone, the one who said, he'll, he doesn't give you a stone when you ask for bread. Why are you assuming that that was him? Why are you putting his name on it? You know why I bet? Is that if you walk through your theology, you have a theology that says God does bad things to people he loves. That'd be my guess, is that that's where it comes from. Because here's what I want you to hear about the scripture. Listen to this. What the scripture actually says about the pain in our lives, it's so much more nuanced than something that can fit on a bumper sticker. It, it, 
If you are living your faith, your Christianity, and we're going to actually talk about this next week a little bit deeper, like how to get a faith that's a little bit beyond kind of the bumper sticker preaching that has just taken over our world. And I, I, try, I try as best as I can to even get little pithy statements. We put them up on the screen. And like sometimes you guys take notes over them. And so like I really try to think because I'm aware how powerful words are. And those little statements where we try to convey a big idea about God can go really, really really awry. Because listen, what the scripture says about pain, whew, it's nuanced. It's complex. Uh, let me give you just a few examples of some of the nuances that the scripture says cause pain in this world. There is the consequence of sin in life. Anybody in here ever sinned? <laughs> right? Like we're all in that boat. Yeah, right? Like your sin affects other people, right? Your sin is damaging to other people. Your sin is damaging to relationships. That's why it's a sin. You know, God doesn't just make up stuff that he's like, yeah, I don't really want him lying and mur- let's check murder off the list. Like that should, we shouldn't do that. He, he, those things are sinful because they destroy relationship. Because they destroy an intended good and they make it bad. So there are consequences. We live in a world that is so devoid of consequences the way we talk about it. But God is very clear that there are consequences for sin. The choices that you make. Guess what? The the dad that his kids don't want anything to do with him now because he was so disengaged in their life and he didn't have anything to do with them. And now they feel like he's just this big hypocrite. Guess what? He made those choices. Not God. There are consequences to your choices. The choices that others make. Sometimes things are forced upon us. There is also the fact that there's a spiritual enemy. We talked several months back about, we we went through spiritual warfare and talked about how I believe that there is an enemy in this world. There is Satan, a devil. And he is not this guy with a really giant fork and big horns, right? Like he is a real spiritual entity who is not the same as God, although he is warring against God and his people and he longs to destroy and he longs to take apart. And there is just sometimes bad stuff that happens in a fallen world. All of these things, all of these things play a role in the events of our life. But it doesn't mean that God's causing them. It doesn't mean that he is the progenitor of it, that he's the one who is the, the genesis of all those bad things starts with him. Some of it is just we live in a fallen world. Uh, listen, I, I was thinking about all this in, uh, I thought if we want to get technical about this, Jesus did talk about pain. Did you know that? But I want you to hear what he said about it. So Jesus promises, in this sentence, I'll be the first to admit, I should have my wife read my sermons because this is kind of a confusing sentence, all right? So don't put this on a bumper sticker. Uh, Jesus' promise to us was not, I think this is a double negative, is that right, Jenny? Yeah. Was not that he wouldn't <laughs> give us more than we can handle, right? So Jesus' promise, he, he never says that, that I won't give you more than he can handle. Listen to this next part. But, but what was his promise? His promise was that more than we could handle was heading straight for us. Did you hear that? Jesus' promise was not that you will never get more than you can handle, which, by the way, is such an egotistical idea that, that God will never give you more than you can handle, meaning that you are strong enough in and of yourself to do whatever it takes to get through whatever comes your way. You are not strong enough. Why do you need a Savior then? His promise, the thing that he 
betrayed to us was that troubles are coming. Jesus didn't say trouble's never going to hit you as a Christian. But his promise was that trouble was coming. And he, that's why he was giving himself to us. Could I take you to the Bible passage that does say that? Let's go to it, John chapter 16, right? John 16, Jesus, you, it's so vital for you to know this. In just a few moments, just a few hours, Jesus is gonna be taken away. He will go to be crucified. Crucified, not, not like pictures that you've seen, not like some beautiful thing in a church that you, oh, that's just so beautiful how they carved that dead that person dying on the cross. It's, this is like real blood and flesh, crucifixion, death, nails, thorns on your head. And just before that, Jesus says this to his buddies. In this world, you will have trouble. Well, that can't be right. That's not what preachers have been telling me forever. What I hear preachers saying is, if I give, if I go, if I do, then God will bless me and I'll get all this stuff. But Jesus, the one who like, started the whole thing, what he says to them in this world, you will have trouble. And then he gives three of the best words, in my opinion, in the world. But take heart. Take heart. But you, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you are going to experience incredible loss. In this world, you are going to experience unfathomable pain by diagnosis that you're going to receive, and it's, it's going to rip you apart. In this world, you are going to have, have the pain of having to love somebody through to the end, and it's going to hurt every second of every day. In this world, you're going to lose jobs. In this world, you're going to be persecuted. In this world, you're going to be taken advantage of. In this world, you're going to face trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. He's not saying to this to people who live in a vacuum, you know that, right? In just a few hours, there's going to be soldiers, an incredible group of fine soldiers who come up strong, virile, fearful, fear, like fear-inducing soldiers. And they're going to grab him and they're going to arrest him. And Jesus is saying to them, there will be trouble, but take heart. Peter, I know that you're going to be standing around a fire warming yourself and you're going to hear off in the distance that I'm being tried and they're asking, they're trying to get me to confess things that I didn't do and they're going to try to do all this stuff to me and there's going to be people who are coming to you and you're going to deny me, Peter, in this world. You're going to have trouble. But take heart. You guys are going to see me like you've never seen me before. Blood dripping from my hands, from my feet, unable to take a breath my lungs collapsing. Most of you are going to run. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. You're going to see it. You, you guys are going to, I'm going to have died. I'm gone. Everything that we've worked for the last three and a half years is gone. I'm uh, going to be put in a grave and you're going to go, how can this be? You so much so you're going to go back to fishing. Go back to what you always knew. You're going to all sit in your rooms and you're going to all decompress together. How could this be? Did we miss something? What, what could we have done? Peter, why'd you run? Why, Thaddeus, why weren't you there? Bartholomew, what in the world? Why, did, why didn't we stand for him? In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. 
And on the third day, he will raise from the dead to prove that he has overcome the world. His promise is not to take you out of the problems of this world. His promise is to give you himself in the problems of this world. He offers himself to you. His promise is that you can take heart because he has overcome the world. And this is a promise that is fully seated in your relationship with him. You should take a picture of that. You should underline it. You should think about that, that it is a promise that is fully seated in your relationship with him. I, uh, I love my kids a lot. Um, I, I always giggle and laugh when I hear a parent who talks about their child and how um, they'll be like, they go to the Grand Canyon and they're like, we had to put a leash on our kid so they didn't jump over the edge, right? And like, I giggle, not because I think that that's funny that you would lose a child over it. Like, what I giggle about is that my kids were uh, like the most fearful children you've ever met. Like, uh, they would, literally, if there was a step this high, they wouldn't jump off of it. I mean, it was like, like, we never have been to the emergency room for any, like, maybe asthma, we've been there, but we've never had some child, like, jump off of something or break something. We have to, because my kids just would stay away from it. They're so terrified of it. So I, I, I kind of found it funny, and I, I would do things like I'd put them on my shoulders, and they would wrap their hands around my face. Like, I couldn't see. They'd be like, yeah, get me out of here. And I'd be like, whoa, we're all going to die. And they, I, just crack me up, right? And, and so I started doing something with my kids when they were little. I would try to pay them to jump off of stuff. Like, they're up on, on a playground piece, and, and I'd be like, come on, buddy. You can, I'll give you five bucks if you just jump. Come on. And you know what I would say to them? I would say, I'm right here. I've got you. I've got you. I know that for some of you, the pain and the hurt that you're feeling, it'd be super nice if God just removed it. Can I tell you something? You know what the problem with pain is? God feels the exact pain that you feel. He knows it. He suffered through pain himself. The problem for him is if he is to remove pain from this world, ultimately, if you follow the logic of it, he has to remove people from this world. Because I'd give you about, not, not all pain comes from people. There are some, just, there's just, we live in a fallen world that's broken, but a lot of that pain comes directly through people. And if God starts to have to winnow out the bad from the good, he is going to have to take people that maybe you love and that you care about and that you would hope would find their way back to him and he would start to have to take anybody who's sinful and has never turned to Jesus and he would have to destroy them and he would have to create a dividing line in history that stops it all. So what do you do if you're God and you're in this place where in order to rid the world of pain, I have to remove people from it. What do you do? He comes and he infects the world from the inside out and he starts to transform me and he transforms you and he takes you and he takes you and he takes you and he changes you on the inside so that you can walk in this way where you no longer, like, the pain still affects Christians. You know that, don't you? The difference is, when I face trouble, I can take heart because I know the one who's overcome the world. I know, I know, I know that in the end, I'm with him. He, his love is resolved get us through and it is rock solid he is saying to you jump I've got you see the point of the passage that Paul gave us 
The point that Jesus gives to us is that God is faithful even in this. Does it still hurt? Yeah, like the dickens. Am I still not sure what to do? Yeah, almost every day. But what I know now is that God is faithful even in this. And I take heart because he's overcome. He is overcome. This morning, some of you need to walk into that relationship with Jesus. Some of you just needed reminded today because the world has been coming against you and you needed to be reminded that the world, even though sometimes it feels like it overcomes you, it never, it never had the authority, it never had the power to overcome him. He overcame it. He still wins. And he's still after your heart just as much as he was 2,000 years ago. This morning, if you need to talk to somebody about Jesus, we'll be up here talk, uh, people up here that you can come talk to. If you just need to pray, maybe you've been facing some terrible stuff in your life. You just need to come up here and pray and have, there are folks who would come up here and we just put our hands on you. We're not gonna bother you or interrupt you, but we just join with you in prayer. We'd love to come and do that. Maybe you just need to do some business with God and go during this time to take communion and engage with the God who shed his blood and broke his body for you. Because he, he wants you to be able to take heart today. He's overcome the world. This morning, I invite you to come, come to Jesus. He's calling. He's calling. You guys stand up. This is your time. Come and talk to us if you need to find hope in Jesus.
calling uh, he, he is calling you and I don't know for you what God is speaking into your heart I know I know that he's good and that he pushes us all and he calls us all and he wants to be deeply involved in your life um, I again was uh, I, my my wife works on Friday my kids are in school I have the day off and so I, a lot of times I'll go out just in the wilderness and hike and stuff and I was reminded of um, a story that's at the beginning of this book um, I was on this trail this week and I was I was hiking, I was looking off to the side, and I was thinking about just how terrible everything in the woods looked. Uh, It was all covered with vines and, like, hard to get through, and I thought, man, if I tried to just make my own path through this, it would take me hours, but it only took a few minutes to kind of get on this path around. It wasn't a long trail. It wouldn't take that long, but it would take forever for me to try to cut my own way through. And what blows my mind is how many of us are trying to blow our way through this world and trying to cut our own path and I'm going to be my own person and figure all this stuff out when there is a God who longs to walk with you and show you the path and like put light on it so you can see. And so this book is nothing fancy, but it is a free gift for you. And it's just an attempt to say, hey, there's a path over here. What if you follow Jesus on that path? And so if you have been struggling in your relationship with God, or maybe you haven't had a relationship with God, and you're like, I don't know where to start, this is just a free gift to, uh, from us to you. It's in the chair in front of you. Um, you can take it. It, it's, it. it is nothing fancy, but it is to get you thinking. And there's just questions in here um, that you read one of the questions a day. There's about three pages or so with it of text. And you just think about that question for the day. And you, So the, the first one is, does God really care about me? Maybe you've been asking that question wondering, read that and think about it and pray about it and talk with God. The idea is just simply to kind of get you on the right path, all right? So everybody say, okay, Kent. See, it's so good. Uh, I, I wanted to, if you guys will turn your attention to the screens, we have a special video to show you about our children's ministry. 